0: Uh, Before we get started this morning, I want to tell you about the Super Training for those who are interested in criminal defense investigations. Whether you're a newbie or you've had years of experience under your belt, um, it is the Criminal Defense Training Academy. It's sponsored by the California Association of Licensed Investigators, and it's going to be held January 23rd through the 27th, uh, this coming January in San Jose, California, at the beautiful Dulce Hayes Mansion. The space is limited. If you are interested, send me an email, Francie at Classified, and I will get you the details. It is going to be a really great five-day, 40-hour uh, training. So um, if you're interested, let me know, and I'll make sure that you have all the details. Oh, one week from today, the family of Jacob... Wetterling and the community of St. Joseph, Minnesota, will be marking the 27th anniversary of the disappearance of 11-year-old Jacob. Jacob's remains were found this year in the first days of September. Again, laying open the wounds of the family's grief to his family and friends, I offer my condolences and to all the law enforcement personnel who worked on this very difficult case, I offer my congratulations. Today... He would be 38 years old. I have investigative reporter and Minnesota private investigator Caroline Lowe here with me today. Caroline has been reporting from the center of this tragedy and she'll give us her view inside the case. So, good morning, Caroline. Good morning, Francie. I'm so glad to have you here, and uh, you're a veteran crime reporter. And you've had just an amazing, uh, extensive background covering cold cases. Tell us a little bit about your background.
2: Well, I started in news. It'll be 40 years next spring. Tell everybody I was five years old when I started. But I started (laughs) at a TV station. My first lie. I started at a TV station in Minnesota as a newsroom librarian, gopher, so forth. And I worked my way up to be a reporter been on the crime beat since 1981, and most of my time as a crime reporter was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and and covering crimes throughout the states. Uh, Five years ago, I moved to California after our youngest child moved out there, and I worked for the NBC affiliate in San Luis Obispo, KSBY, uh, where I was more of a manager. About a year and a half ago, I decided I wanted to go back to reporting. That's where my soul and my heart and my specialty, what I care the most about are unsolved missing persons cases. And that's Mm. what I've been focusing on the last year and a half.
0: That's great. Uh, And I know that uh, a lot of your work has appeared on Oprah in 2020, Court TV. Mm. So you've gotten uh, a lot of – have you actually appeared on those uh, programs as well?
2: Yes. Yes, I Uh was a guest on Oprah about 20 years ago. I did a story. Uh, undercover report on officers not doing their job in Minneapolis caught them sleeping in movie theaters, hanging out in strip joints, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, much of my, the other stories involve unsolved missing persons, including an anchor woman from Iowa, Jody Hughes and Troop, who I've covered for 21 years. And uh, again, that's my passion is working on these unsolved cases, including Jacob uh, Wetterling until yeah. unsolved until very recently. And that
0: Jody Hewsontrut was uh, connected to Jacob's case in some weird, strange
2: way. She was. Jody was a morning anchor and KIMT, the CBS station in small town Mason City, Iowa. And uh, three years before she was abducted, she actually interviewed Jacob Wetterling's mother when she was a reporter in Minnesota and did it on an anniversary story. And uh, it was three, you know, three years after the interview after Jacob, uh, Jody was abducted as well, and she's still missing 21 years later. And what's the theory about Jody's
0: abduction? Is there one?
2: Uh, There are multiple theories, and again, it's kind of like Jacob, until we know what actually happened. There are a lot of different ideas. Um, I got involved partially because I covered a serial rapist in Minnesota who we found when they were doing the background checks uh, that he had actually lived in Mason City two blocks from her television station when she was abducted two years before he went on a rape spree in the Twin Cities. He's always denied it. Uh, Law enforcement in Mason City said they don't believe he's a suspect, but he hasn't been ruled out. There's a person who hung out with her, an older man, who uh, people believe he had a crush on her. He's been on a short list. And it could be none of the above. You know, one thing I've learned from Jacob is there are many, many people who look like they might be capable of it, but getting the actual person, uh, in Jacob's case, took 26, 27 years. Yeah,
0: Jacob's case. I mean, for the family, I, I just have to say the, the worst thing is not knowing, probably. Um, not that it's a good thing to know <laughs> either, no. but uh, at least you can put it, you know, put it in a place where you can deal with it.
2: Exactly. And and if we can recap it a little bit for people who are not aware of it, it was 27 years ago, this Saturday, actually, that Jacob and his brother and a friend were biking. They biked to a local convenience store about a mile from home to get a video. Their parents were out that night. Uh, They were biking back when a masked gunman jumped out of a driveway on a very quiet rural road, jumped out a quarter mile from Jacob's home, and uh, ended up abducting Jacob at gunpoint. He let his brother, Trevor, friend run home. And uh, just a a month ago, uh, this man, Danny Heinrich, confessed as part of a plea deal in federal court that he took Jacob about 30 miles from there to close to where he lives, rural Painesville, Minnesota. He molested him. He heard a squad go by. He panicked. He had Jacob turn around. He shot him twice in the head. He then buried him uh, a few days. He buried him later. He ended up moving him a year later to another site, which turned out in the end to be right on a farm right off of... Very fairly busy road right outside the town where he lived, thirty miles from where Jacob was abducted, and he just confessed to that a month ago as part of the federal plea deal. It's an amazing story. Um, so,
0: from from reading about this, Caroline, it didn't sound like um, his name was Danny Heinrich, right? Danny Heinrich is the guy that uh, Danny Heinrich. Invest. Yeah, mm-hmm. it didn't sound like he originally intended to kill him. He just intended to molest him.
2: Exactly, and he had done that previously. Nine months earlier, he had abducted another boy, a 12-year-old boy uh, named Jared Shirell, who, um the next town over. He'd abducted him. He let him go after he molested him. He is suspected in being involved in a series of attempted abductions and uh, incidents and in the town where he grew up. He always let those boys go. So he said in court, and I was in the front row when he gave his confession a month ago, that he panicked. And that's why he shot Jacob. And what was it that made him panic, did he say? When he heard, saw the squad go by, by, I think he was afraid that somehow he would be caught, and if mm-hmm. Jacob would escape, Jacob could describe him. Um, he panicked, and that was how it ended. He didn't even, his gun wasn't even loaded when he object, When he took Jacob, but he then put in a couple rounds, and he shot Jacob twice in the head. He testified. I can't imagine being a parent and listening to that, can you? It's just... Uh, it was horrible. It was it was horrible. And Francie, what stood out as horrible as it was to hear about the shooting and describing how he molested Jacob, I think the most heartbreaking thing for all of us is when one of the first things Jacob said after he kidnapped him and handcuffed him is he said, What did I do wrong? You can just mm-hmm. imagine the fear in that 11-year-old boy who just wants to go home. And then after he was molested, he said, I'm cold. Can you take me home? And Heinrich said, he said, No, it was too far to drive him home. So is there's anything that came out of it, I guess, as any comfort is it did not last long. He did not hold on to him for a while, according to Heinrich and mm-hmm. his statement. It was over in an hour, but for 27 years, Patty Wetterling said she always thought that he was going to come home. They never changed the numbers. Their phone number, they never moved.
0: Mm. She knew mm. the odds,
2: but she'd met people like J.C. Dugard's family, Elizabeth Smart, so she had that hope that her, you know, her sure. son would be coming in the back front door someday. And until sure. Jacob's remains were found, his hockey jacket and his clothing, she still held out the hope that Jacob was going to come home. Mm. So, take us back to that day. You said that his brother—how old, how old was his brother? His brother is a year younger. Trevor was ten, and the best friend, Aaron Larson, was with him. And they'd been at home with Jake, Jacob. Jacob's parents had gone out. They had a babysitter. They were getting bored. And it was a warm night and they called their parents and said, can we go get a video? And parents agreed to it. First, mom said no, but they agreed to it as long as he wore a reflective vest, had a flashlight. Their biggest concern in this rural town of St. Joseph was they might get hit by a car. Never on their radar that a stranger might abduct right. their son. So they did what they were, their parents told them to do. They biked into town. And on the way back, Heinrich testified he saw them go into town. He, pulled, he put, pulled into a driveway about a quarter of a mile from the Wetterling home, waited in the driveway about 20 minutes. And then when they came back, he jumped out. He had his mask on and he had his he had his gun. And then he approached the boys, made them get down in the ditch, asked them their names, their ages. Then he let Trevor let Aaron go home, told them not to look back. And as they ran home, he took off with Jacob and went about 30 miles to where he attacked him near his home in Painesville, Minnesota.
0: So how far, what was the distance from their home to where they went to get the video? About
2: a mile, very quiet part of town, about a mile, not very far, and they were a quarter mile from being home when they were stopped.
0: It it describes, uh, somewhere I read, it describes, it was a, do they live
2: in a wooded area? uh and they lives in a cul-de-sac with woods but basically it was um you go it's a dead end rural road up uh, to going home there's some houses along the way and um the driveway where heinrich jumped out le- leads down to a farmhouse and he was parked in that driveway the boys drive the boys bike up in front of him he jumps out from the driveway they're across the road there and that's when he approached them but a very rural it was a very dark night it was a warm exceptionally warm night for a minnesota night a very dark, no lights.
0: Hmm. I just, uh, uh, I have to think of the two boys uh, that had, had to have made a huge impact on their lives even today. It
2: has, absolutely. I interviewed Trevor a number of years ago because he and Jacob's other two siblings, his sister Carmen and Amy, helped put together a book uh, for other missing children. It's called What About Me? And it talks about a sibling's survival guide. I mean, what a horrible thing to have to do, but a gift to other children who go through it. And he talked about what it was like. And uh, the other boy, Aaron, who was his best friend, they've lived with, this has been part of their emotional history for years. You've got these boys that survived and trying to remember, trying to recall details that might help catch Jacob. Uh, Trevor ended up moving away to another state, having the last name Wetterling was so huge in Minnesota. I think he,
0: he wanted to have
2: a life where you know everywhere you go everybody knows about everybody talks about Jacob Wetterling it changed how we raised our children it changed everything
0: mhm for sure so so what happened immediately after what happened the, the boys did they the run boys home went did they home. call somebody? they went home
2: they ran across the wood, a field home into the babysitter called their parents they called the police Police were on the scene right away. They called in lots of authority, you know, other law enforcement, and then became the largest man-person child hunt in Minnesota history. The FBI came in, the state BCA, Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, volunteers. Everybody poured in. I think at one point they said they had something like 50,000 different leads, but people came in from all over. Very intense search for a few months, then eventually things got scaled back. Lots and lots of false leads, lots and lots of people looked at as persons of interest. Heinrich, in fact, became a person of interest. He's one of many people who became a in- person of interest way back then, but they never had enough evidence to charge him with anything, and he was let go. They surveyed him, they interviewed him, and then he, he just, and, you know, became another one of many, many people they looked at.
0: And why? And why was he initially a person of interest? What? How did that come about? <laughs>
2: A law enforcement person from the area called him in as somebody who kind of fits the physical description. Uh, Not a lot of detail about that, but he called it in. And uh, he was brought in and questioned specifically for the assault that had happened in the next town over uh, with Jared Shiro um, in Cold Springs, which is between Painesville, where he lived, and uh, St. Joseph, where Jacob was abducted brought him in uh, FBI set up a room, and you know they tried to get him to talk. He didn't say anything. They had actually watched him quite a bit for a week or so before then to see if they, he might lead him to the grave. Uh, there were tire marks and uh, things like that that were consistent with some things they found at the scene, but you know, consistent is not perf- proof. proof. Right. They didn't have the DNA kind of quality of evidence they had back then, um, so they had to let him go, and he, didn't, he lawyered up pretty quickly, and they let him go. And they, in fact, they had lots and lots of sex offenders in the area. Heinrich was not a convicted sex offender back then. He had some burglaries on his record, but nothing. There were a lot of people with a lot worse sex offender rap sheets back then than Heinrich that they were looking at.
0: Okay, so Heinrich, there was some sketches. Uh, did these come from the boys? Is the
2: uh... they, Well, they, there were some, but again, the man with his face was covered. But There was a sketch that had been right. drawn in Jared's case. Um, so some sketches were drawn up. Uh, the boys remembered him as having kind of a gravelly voice. That was one of the things that stood out. Um, they described the clothing. The boys never saw a car, so for a long time they weren't sure if a car was involved or not, uh, even though there were marks on the driveway. Uh, Minneapolis police K nine unit came in. And a dog tracked Jacob sent to about three hundred feet onto the property. So they. You know, they know it stopped there, again, not knowing if he was taken off in a car or what happened. Uh, so they had those kinds of information. They uh, they went back to the convenience store. They talked to anybody who might have seen anybody hanging out in the area, went back and looked at other potential cases. Um, but it didn't lead to anything until a year and a half ago when they got a DNA hit on Jared's case, Jared, the boy from Cold Spring, um, Two years ago, I should back up. Two years ago, they, on the 25th anniversary of Jacob's abduction, law enforcement sat down again, had some new, fresh set of eyes to look at the case. When they were looking at it, one of the things they did is they, uh, they tested a shirt that Jared was wearing 27 years, 25 years ago at the time, tested a shirt he was wearing for possible DNA. Uh, they've had a hair on that shirt. They compared it with DNA that they had uh, that came back with a hit on Heinrich. When that came back, since there's been a thinking for many, many years that that case is probably connected with Jared, that led them to get a search warrant of Danny Heinrich's home, which was, she still stayed in the area. It was about a half an hour away. Searched the home, looking for evidence in Jacob's case, looking for evidence in Jared Chiral's case, even though the statute of limitations had expired in his case. They mm-hmm. didn't find any evidence connecting him to Jacob's case or to Jared's, but they did find. 19 binders of child pornography that led to 25 charges child federal child porn charges against heinrich again no charges in connection with jacob or in connection with jared that went through the courts. he was charged with those his defense public defenders made a pretty vigorous defense chart challenging the search warrant along the way the federal judge upheld the search warrant he was set to go to trial october 11th about six weeks before six weeks before then his attorney Excuse me, came board and
0: said October was, 11th was that October 11th last October year year 11th of
2: this year of this year he was set to go on trial oh, okay. October 11th this year, and, and then, then late August his attorneys approached the U.S. attorney's office and said that he might be willing to make a deal, and that's when the wheels really started go started rolling. And I think basically what happened is they knew that he was moving forward on the federal child porn charges, looking at many, many years as he was convicted on the child porn. That's when the deal was constructed.
0: So they had a, they had a cold hit on Danny Heinrich. Why didn't they have
2: enough to charge him with that? Well, they had enough on him in connection with Jared Shirell, but because the statute of limitations had expired... Uh, You know, a homicide wouldn't expire, but in in Minnesota, it expired many, many years ago. So they couldn't charge him with Jared's, but that gave them enough to, they used to go get the search warrant because they believe whoever did Jared did Jacobs as well. So they got the search warrant
0: and they had enough on
2: the federal, because that expired because it's a sexual assault case, sexual assault and abduction case that expired many years ago. Okay. So the hair came from um, the other, Jared's Jared's case. case. Right. They had no evidence to connect him, physical evidence to connect him to Jacob.
0: Huh.
2: So he, he Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, he is part of the cooperation, part of the deal that this went on for several days. One of the things that the family wanted, the authorities wanted is they wanted a full confession. They wanted not, they wanted a detailed confession. They wanted to be led to Jacob's remains. It couldn't just be, yeah, I did it. They needed a full confession. And as part of the deal, um, and they consulted with the family, and the Wetterlings have said for years that they wanted answers. They were looking for answers. They wanted Jacob more than justice. They wanted answers. So they were brought in, and as this deal came together, um, again, they had to be led to Jacob. Ja- on, Jacob's, on, um, on Danny Heinrich's side, he also insisted he could not be charged in connection with the state charges on kidnapping and killing Jacob. He would only be charged on a federal child porn deal. That's what they agreed to. So he was led uh, a couple days later after a deal was hammered out. He led authorities to a field outside of Painesville where he lived and they found Jacob's remains in a shallow grave. That was on a, a Friday, Wednesday, and Friday of that week, they found his clothing. The following Tuesday, this was going into Labor Day weekend, the following Tuesday, he signed the deal in federal court they dropped all the other, they, they agreed to one federal charge of child pornography. They dropped the other charges facing the statute, um, the maximum uh, limit of 20 years in federal prison, and also knowing that he could be civilly committed after he's released from federal prison if it all went through. But he would not be charged with Jacob's case, and that was the deal he agreed to. And as part and how- of the deal, he also gave a detailed confession in court and walked us through Jacob's last hour. And how old is Danny Heinrich today? He is uh, 53. He was 26 back
0: when it happened. Okay, so he's 53. He's been given 20. He'll probably get out in what
2: is that 85%? 17, 18 years they figured but yeah, it's about 17-18 uh-huh. years. And then okay. face the civil commitment. And Jacob and Jared's cases will be presented, I'm sure, at any point during a federal commitment process if when he's eligible to be released.
0: Now does Minnesota have the same kind of a law that California does where the sexually violent
2: predator can be held yes. uh, after the sentence is completed? Exactly. And that's okay. what the prosecutor said they anticipate. They do not anticipate Danny Heinrich is likely to ever be released from custody.
0: Uh,
2: how did you feel about that sentence, Caroline? You know, again, I have to put my reporter hat on. I'm, you know, it's, it's justice, but it, um, I think one of the things that struck me sitting there, though, is Danny Heinrich got 26 more years of freedom before he was arrested, yeah. and the family went 26 years, really 27 years before they knew what happened to Jacob, so he got 26-year 20, break, um, but I know knowing that if they didn't do this, Jacob would still be missing. He may well have right. been convicted of the federal child porn, but we would continue to not know where Jacob is, Is so I think without he basically had a gun to Jacob's head 27 years ago. He had a gun mm-hmm. on them as he mm-hmm. faced the federal charges, and that was the only way out. He, according to authorities, according to Heinrich, he never told anybody. He kept this secret. I got to know a family member, a brother, and I don't think he knew anything. And because he kept it, he is the only person that would have led anybody to Jacob. So we would still be saying, as Danny Heinrich went off to federal prison, if Danny Heinrich died someday, we would not know where Jacob is. I believe right. if there had not been a deal.
0: And as far as we know, this is the only time he's ever committed a murder of any kind?
2: That's the only one they're aware of. The FBI, the head of the FBI, said afterwards he believes that, that Heinrich stopped, um, you know, that, he, that after you know, killing somebody, he stopped. I'll talk with a number of sex crime investigators who have a hard time believing that, yes, it might have shaken him up for a while, but a sexual predator doesn't stop. It's the rare predator who stops unless they've gone through treatment, they've gone to prison, or they're dead. And,
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
2: he. so people are looking at cases elsewhere to see if there might be other things that happened after Jacob. And some some authorities believe that he was able to satisfy his sexually predator urges by having pretty amateur child porn. He wasn't distributing money. He had basically cut-and-paste photos. He would morph pictures of young people with sexual pictures, and that was his his warmer child porn that they found in his home. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, Caroline. Um, we'll be
0: back in just a few minutes with investigative reporter Caroline Love.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: Caroline Rowe, a veteran crime reporter, covered the details of the developments of the case involving the disappearance of Jacob Wetterling. Um, Caroline, so what you're saying is that the parents sat in the courtroom while Danny Heinrich detailed step by step of what happened from the point he ab- before he abducted, while he was lying in wait for Jacob, mm-hmm. to the point where he buried him. They ha- that was I, I just I can't imagine.
2: It was horrible. I guess that's the only way to describe it because I was sitting in the front row on the reporter's side. They were across the aisle. And we were, I mean, I, I knew to bring a bunch of Kleenex with me. And we were sitting there listening to it. And you could hear the family crying. And they wanted to hear it. And I'm told they were told the day before some of the details. They knew it. But this was the first time they'd heard it in his own words as he sits with facing the judge, his back to the courtroom, and describes it just almost like he was reading a telephone book out loud. Very? Mm-hmm you know calmly reads describing it and it really took you there to that night it took you to the fear of what that child was going through wanting to go home and be with his mom and dad
0: oh my goodness and and what about it's very very hard
2: to put the reporter cap on i mean as i said you are is when you hear it in those words and you're so close to the pain and you're listening to him it's just it's very very sad chilling Chilling.
0: And his brother and his friend that were there that night, were they in the courtroom?
2: They were in the courtroom. Jared was in the courtroom. Uh, many, many relatives of the Wetterlings, other people who've been involved in the case along the way, that, uh, everybody was there. It was packed. They had overflow in the next another courtroom that they had people in. And I'm sure it's going to be packed next month when i going back for the sentencing where the family and Jared will have a chance to make a victim impact statement. And I'm sure it'll be equally heartbreaking.
0: Oh, I'm sure it will be.
2: And what date is that sentencing? It's November 21st. It's the Monday before Thanksgiving.
0: Okay. And, you know, and I'm just thinking psychologically, wow, thinking of the parents and how all of these 27 years they've had hope and now they, there's no hope left. It's all resolved. No.
2: And, that, that and I'm, I'm glad you use the word resolve. They don't people don't want to use the word closure because it's not closure, it's resolve. It's not. They have answers, and right. they know, and it's horrific what they know. But I went to a memorial service a few weeks ago that they held for Jacob, and it was beautiful It was an ecumenical service in the college in town, and it was heartbreaking again. You see these pictures of Jacob up there on the screen and that beautiful little boy, and you know a life that didn't get to continue. But one of the things the family plans to continue to do is they talk, uh, you know, Jacob's number was 11 when he played on the hockey team, and they're mm-hmm. going to continue with Jacob's traits, Jacob's fairness, honesty, the world Jacob wants, the world that he wanted to be in, and that's what they plan to do to move forward. This On, on the anniversary, this Saturday, they have organized their first run. It's going to be running home for Jacob, and we're going to be there to run home for Jacob to help find other missing children. Patty, Mm. his mother, has vowed to continue to use her work. She's very involved in the National Center for Missing Exploited Children. She's reached out to many other families. She helped change the sex offender registry laws. She's vowed to continue the work and to make it the kind of world that she wanted Jacob to grow up in. Continue his legacy, if you will. And what a
0: great way to... uh, uh, I guess infuse her energy into and and giving a a, a voice to not only to exactly. Jacob but to other missing children and missing families. She
2: made all she made all of our children's world safer by what she's done in these 27 years while I'm looking for Jacob. She has made a huge difference. It's heartbreaking that we could not do this to help her but she used her energy. I think a lot of us, I said, about, I'd, I'd crawl under my covers. My son was five when it happened. I didn't even tell him about it at the time, and I found out later. He found out from his friends. I, I can't imagine moving forward how she did what she did with incredible pain, but she kept doing it and put herself out there to help other families and hoping by putting herself in the national media, even on her most difficult days, that somehow it might lead to Jacob coming home and, and providing hope for other families.
0: Hmm. Amazing, just amazing. Uh,
2: so what do you know about Danny Heinrich? We know that he, uh, he grew up in Painesville, a small town in Minnesota, about an hour and a half from the Twin Cities. He, i heard he was bullied in school. He was a loner, doesn't seem to have many friends. I searched quite a bit to try to find people who know him. I met his brother, got to know his brother. Uh, he'd worked in sort of some basically unskilled labor. He owned a small home. Uh, about a mile or excuse me about a half an hour from where the abduction happened his parents were divorced he split his time between his mom and his dad's home uh they're both deceased now uh stayed in the area but very few friends just never really was on too many people's radar of anybody that really stood out over the years Hmm.
0: and he'd never he you said he'd never been convicted
2: Not of sexual
0: offenses.
2: No, the only thing on his record were he had a couple of burglaries, things like that, but never convicted of any kind of sexual offenses. He was a loner. I said he didn't have friends, but he never left the area. He never, as far as we know, he never took off. If he took off, he he came back. He was in the National Guard for a little while. Uh, He was in the National Guard at the time of Jacob's abduction, and they were called in to help with the search, and that was one of the things we looked into to see if possibly he was actually part of the search, but he was not. Um, but nothing, nothing that really stood out about him. The people we've talked. Okay,
0: to. and so, so there was a because there were because he'd been in prison for burglary. He that's he how they got all, the hit. He had hit? a little
2: time. He had a little time. No, they they had some samples from back, and then they had uh, they had a hair, and they were able to. They had it from way back in 27 years ago, and they went back and compared it, and they were able to get the hit.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm still confused. Sorry. Um, I'm sorry, sorry about that.
2: that. So how did they get, they had a hair sample. They had a hair sample they obtained from him. It's not totally clear when they got it. They had a hair sample oh, okay. from him and they went back and compared. They compared it. They brought Jacob's clothes, excuse me, Jared's clothing out of um, the property room. And one of the things that stood out when they reread the report is again, his mother mentioned remembering him wiping his sleeve. So they went back and tested it. And it was interesting when it came in, Um, it came back and um, they didn't even, the the scientists at the state crime lab didn't even register who it was. He submitted it and it came back to the uh, Stearns County Sheriff, the primary law enforcement agency. That was uh, a little over a year ago. That gave them the probable cause. helps them go before a judge to get a search warrant. Hmm.
0: Interesting. That's a little fuzzy to me.
2: <laughs> how, that all, how that all came yeah. about? Yeah. Okay. Huh. All right. So. And so he's been in custody since last year. He's never um, he, again. He denied, repeatedly denied having anything to do with the case. He denied that he did Jared, but he did admit Jared in court as well and describe what happened that night. Oh, he did. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and Jared's uh, also become very involved in continuing in this effort to move forward and educate people. He did an interview 12 years ago with Carol Love the station I'm with now. And it was the first time he had ever gone public and shared his story. And uh, he's very frustrated that things hadn't happened sooner, that his case will never be charged. He's hired an attorney. He plans to pursue civil litigation because he still feels there are more answers that he has not obtained. And he hopes through depositions to get more answers. hmm
0: hmm Okay. And so uh, now Patty Wetterling uh, oversees the Jacob Wetterling Foundation.
2: She, she doesn't oversee. She's part of, was part of the founder of the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center, which works on child safety issues. and um, She's very involved with them and cont- continues to be very involved with their work, as well as working with the National many, many years at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children.
0: Okay, and, and what,
2: what actually do they do? How
0: do they, uh, they focus their time? Large,
2: they do a lot of awareness. They help with investigations. They're based out of Washington, D.C., the National Center, the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center Center. Um, in, is based in St. Paul, Minneapolis area. Again, it's largely an education piece, but they do a lot of child safety education. They train law enforcement. They train communities about what to look for, trying to train, make awareness about Because 27 years ago, there was a lot that was not known about uh, sexual abuse and who's mm-hmm. typical. In fact, one of the messages Patty has is stranger abductions like Jacob's are actually very rare. It's teaching children the warning signs to be aware of people you know who are most likely to be the people who are, are going to hurt your child, and what, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Instead of the... I,
0: right, that is, that is probably true, that there are stranger abductions are very few and far between. It's usually very somebody... Few. It's more
2: likely a soccer coach, a priest, somebody you trust, a friend of the family. And um, it, that the fear, particularly in Minnesota, because of what happened to Jacob... The fear of strain reduction is, is really disproportionate to the reality. But having gone through it, I don't, there's not a family here who raised a child. We raised our children differently, much more fearfully because of what happened to Jacob. Well, and I think, you know,
0: actually across the country, I think we raise our children yes. differently today than we did mm-hmm. 20 or 30 years ago. Exactly. You know, you don't let your children go out walking by themselves no, I was,
2: when I, at night. <laughs> when I was in uh, San Francisco right after this happened, our five-year-old grandson got off the bus, and he asked me, oh, what's going on with Jacob Wetterling? And I was just stunned. His mother explained it. She decided to use it as a feasible moment to explain to him about <laughs> what can happen and awareness, but it just it broke my heart because you think you're protecting them on one level. And then, then I showed him a really touching thing. I showed him a photo of Jacob's mother had put a thank you note holding a little uh, raggedy, Andy doll. I said, this is what Jacob's mother is trying to do to make people aware about Jacob. And uh, Ted said to me, he said, was that Jake, Jacob's cuddly? I thought it's how, you know out of the mouth of a child. And then a few weeks later at Jacob's memorial service, I saw a picture of Jacob sleeping with a raggedy Andy doll. I thought, wow, you know, the perspective of children. You don't want to scare them, but you never want a parent to go through what the Wetterlings went through. So you want to prepare them and yet still have a good have them enjoy their lives to be children and that's what patty emphasizes over and over she doesn't want children growing up afraid she wants them to grow up and be fair and be kind and enjoy the world but also to be aware of certain kinds of behavior that could be threatening to them
0: well and you know what unless you address it directly and openly the children hear it anyway they know it anyway and unless okay. you direct you know address it then they're going to mm-hmm. that just Exacerbates the fear.
2: Oh, well, I said my own son knew it. And I thought I was protecting him because I thought, well, what, you right. know, what, are the odds? But he knew about it, so I guess I should, you know, the crime. Kids growing up with their mom as a crime reporter get exposed to a lot of things. They've often told me, you know, our mom's not normal. It's <laughs> just true, but it's just true. But I, I've met too like you. I've met too many families who've been through the loss and the pain. You, you carry it. Like Jacob, I carry. I took Jacob's picture with me. And Jody's picture with me to California and I just kept at my desk all these years because you don't want to forget them. And I don't want another parent to go through what they've been through.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's just uh, it's beyond comprehension, actually. Mm-hmm. For any of exactly. uh, anybody that's ever been a parent or is a parent. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah. it's just beyond comprehension that right. that you could go through this and and survive. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Yeah, um, and, and watching, watching Heinrich, how do you live with yourself doing that? How did he stay there in that area where every year on the anniversary and many times in between, this was always part of the narrative in Minnesota. So he was around it all the time. I heard he went into the local bar in town. He would go around. How did, you, how did he do that? And then watch him in the courtroom, Francie, I didn't see any remorse. It mm-hmm. looked to me like somebody who he knew what he needed to do to reduce the number of years he was facing in federal prison when he knew that he had a pretty good chance of being convicted. That's why he came forward. It didn't seem to be based in any sense of remorse.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And did he address
0: any of that when he was testifying or not?
2: No, he just no. He just gave a straight up narrative of what happened.
0: And, and then you mentioned he was facing the judge and not he wasn't
2: facing the right. court but audience. His His back was to the was to the audience he was facing the judge he he sat between his attorneys and he was facing the judge his back was to the courtroom the only time his face was in the courtroom we saw his face is when he came in and he went out
0: so he wasn't in the witness stand
2: no he was not up in the witness stand and I'm not sure if he will be when when he's sentenced but in this setting, um, and many times when I've seen these before, as I'm sure you have, they're in the witness stand, but he was sitting, he was right at the table, the area right in front of the judge, probably 15 feet from the rest of us. He needs to look at his,
0: the family of Jacob. <laughs> he needs to have to look at them.
2: I think, um, well, he didn't look at them when he came in. I mean, and they were clearly looking in that direction, but mm-hmm. we, will be, we will be looking for that when we're there next month.
0: So if somebody wanted to get in contact with uh, the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center, how would they go about doing that?
2: They are listed on the web, the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center, and I can you know, send you the link to your site. But, um, if, and they have lots of information. Uh, if they're interested in donating to the run or anything, um, they're, they're a nonprofit foundation. All that's on the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center, and they're, also, uh, they're on Twitter or they're on Facebook. Okay. So, if somebody Googled uh, Jason
0: Wetterling, uh, Jake, Jake Resource J-A-C-O-B, mm-hmm. Wetterling, W-E-T-T-E-R-L-I-N-G. Wetter. Right. Uh, Resource, Resource Center. Center. They could p- pick it up. Okay. It's and, all right there. Um, mm-hmm. So, if people wanted to get involved in the run, where does it start and,
2: and all that? It's on St. Paul. It's at Lake Phelan Saturday morning. I think the last I heard there is 1,600 people signed up. I said, I'm signed up. And, I know a friend of mine who was one of the first reporters on the scene back then has organized a team. I'm told Jacob's classmates are going to be there. Jacob's family will be there. I think it's going to be a huge event. And I think we all collectively need it. It's, said it was, I'm really glad I went to the memorial service, as painful as it was. But this is a positive event. And it's going, it looks like it will be a beautiful fall day, about a 3-mile, 3.1-mile uh, 5K walk, run. There will be children's activities. There will be educational pieces at Lake Fallon, and uh, you can just show up. You can register online, or you can just show up in St. Paul this Saturday morning on the anniversary of Jacob's abduction and murder. And it's also, this thing was set, organized even before. We knew that uh, Jacob's remains were found, but it has something extra momentum. Yes. I think we all need to be there. And on that day in Minnesota, we people leave their porch lights on. So no matter where you are in the country, if you want to do your part to remember Jacob and his legacy, Leave your porch light on. Hmm. And tell, tell us again where that's going to uh It's going to be at Lake Phelan. It's on the east side of St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. okay. And the more details are on there. And if people, there's 11 traits that Jacob stood for. They have them on the website. They're selling T-shirts now to Remember Jacob. Uh, people want buttons. It's, nice. it's really touched a cord. People want something to continue. Many people over the years have worn a Jacob button all these years, and um, I think people want something to continue, so we move forward and not have him be for And I can't imagine anybody will forget Jacob and his legacy, but this is a tangible way to continue to help other children, other missing persons like Jody Hughes and, Fruit and others who are out there to continue mm-hmm. the search. So what do we...
0: Did we learn anything from this? What are the lessons that we gained from, from this case? Well,
2: I think we've learned some things, and I think we'll learn more when we're, we're all make, we're making public records requests to go back and look inside the investigations. as much of it we've get in bits and pieces through sources, but there's a lot we still don't know. I want to look at the interviews that Heinrich did years ago. I want to look at the interviews he did with law enforcement to uh, see what we might learn from it. Um, one of the things that stands out for me, is that Jacob was hidden almost in plain sight. He was in a shallow grave right off a road that I've driven 30 times back and forth in the past year as I've driven to St. Joseph, Minnesota, to Painesville. Um, Chances are with with Jody, she's probably somewhere close to Mason City where she disappeared in June 27, 1995. Um, Is there something... That from there, from this, that we can learn that might take us back. Um, Could it be somebody who was interviewed back then that didn't get on the radar all that much who needs to be re-interviewed? Is there somebody who's held back on something who might know something? Again, in Jacob's Mm -hmm. case, he kept a secret. In most cases, people tell somebody. Uh, Years ago, I interviewed a man who was convicted of murder whose wife initially was an alibi for him. Three years later, she came forward and said she had lied for him because she was fearful of him. And then she went on to be assist law enforcement in trying to help solve other cases. So is there somebody out there who knows something, who's held back, who has carried a secret all these years, does that person need to be re-interviewed? Uh, do we need to remind people that some cases aren't solved. Sometimes people think cases are solved. But they don't think their information is important. You never know what one little clue may mean that could break the case. So those are just some of the things. And again, he stayed in town. He never went away. He was right there, and Jacob that's was right there the whole time. Yeah, that's fascinating. He was hiding in plain sight all those yeah, years. What? And sure. So I think a year from now, I might be able to answer some of those questions better after I've had a chance to pour through the files. And um, we're going to be doing a, nothing will be released until after the sentencing. So we all have a, a lot of questions of what we can learn. We may hmm. learn from this.
0: Hmm. That, it's just uh, it's. It's just beyond comprehension for me to think about
2: this. So I'm a little. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to believe well. it's over. I'm still trying to find a place yeah. to put it. It's just, my husband said it's yeah. always been, where's Jacob? And that, for yeah. me, it's been, where's Jacob? Where's Jody, and some others? And I'm trying to use them, from what I've learned from this, and just the momentum of being close to, I'm close to, I'm close to Jacob's family and close to Jody's family. I so much want to be able to help find for Jody's sister to be able to have some answers. Jody's other relatives. Jody's mother asked me years ago, she said, "You know, I hope that I can find Jody if so I can bury her before I die." Sadly, her mom Jane died a few years ago without being able oh. to bury Jody. Oh. I hope I can help give those answers by keeping at it, using some of the training I have. I've gotten through getting to know you and working as a private investigator. The people I meet, uh, the training you get, the resources, the databases you get access to as a private investigator that you don't get even as a reporter. Then maybe somewhere in there there's a clue that will help, help me be better at trying to help solve this case. It takes a, takes a village. No one person is going to, I think, solve these, and I want to do my small part.
0: Well, and, and even, if, even though it's resolved, it, in a way it, it feels
2: depressing, it's and very sad. I think we're still in a collective grief and mourning here. It's, yeah. it's very, very sad. And yeah. and everywhere I go, people want to talk about it. And I'm finding times I, I took a day a couple of days ago. I said, I need a day just not to think about it because it's there. Um, I go back to the day that it went and broke in September. I was in California visiting our son's place in San Francisco. And I get a call at four in the morning and that it's, it's breaking news out here. And then, I, you know, it's six o'clock out here and then, I started calling some of my sources, and one of the hardest things I ever did, Francie, is I texted Patty Weatherman, Jacob's mother, and I said, we hear Heinrich is cooperating. She texted me back, and she said, um, I can confirm that Jacob's been found. Our hearts are broken. And I just <clears> sat there and stared at that text, and I cried. I'm in my pajamas. and am sitting in California, but I felt like I was right there, and I just cried, and then I tried to get my act together, got my act together to make more calls and put on my reporter's hat, but it was a very, very, very sad weekend, and I flew back the next day to be here, and um, then I've been, you know, very immersed in it ever since, and will continue to be.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a quote that Patty Wetterling said to the press right after Jacob was found, and she says, "I would love to talk to you all, but I'm just not ready yet because for us, mm-hmm. Jacob was alive until we found him. He, he taught was, us he was. all.
2: He was. Uh, yeah." He was, and I mean, I think he was for those. Again, we knew the odds, but she—I know from being with her—and I've spent many, many hours in her kitchen with her, drinking, watching her drink her cup coffee out of a cup with Jacob's picture on it. And she didn't; she refused to believe it, and you could not tell her otherwise. And how she wouldn't change her phone number because what if he was maybe in Canada and have amnesia? She knew the odds. She again, she met the families of the people and those girls, women in Ohio who were held all those years, and. Uh, all these others, and she never gave up hope that he was going to come knocking on the door. And I think as a mom, as a parent, you can relate to that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I I just want to
0: switch here because I know that you did something amazing by creating this database of
2: missing persons. Can you talk about Mm -hmm. that a little bit? That's um, in California. It was actually um, a year ago I started looking into missing persons on the Central Coast where I, I live now in California, and I, I started contacting all the law enforcement agencies to find out how many, many missing persons there were, were in our area. And I was surprised that the the numbers were particularly high. It was over 300 in our area, and well over uh, the highest numbers by far were in Santa Maria. And what struck me is we have maybe 700, we have 780,000 or so people. On the central coast, and the number was comparable to what I had heard in Minnesota, with five million people. So I started digging some more, and as we dug more, we learned that part of it is that some of the cases just were not followed up on. Um, they were they were re- reported, and some of them, particularly in Santa Maria, they found that their numbers were not accurate. Uh, as they started going through and they went in and reviewed the numbers, they're actually considerably less than they originally thought. Originally thought, but they they cleaned up their databases, and I think it's better than it was a year ago. Uh, I got a call actually from a man who is a web sleuth who's helped some solve cases around the country. His name is Carl Koppelman. He thought that one of the women listed in our database, a young woman from listed in Santa Barbara, looked very similar to a woman whose remains were found, at Jane Doe in Los Angeles County. Still waiting on that. They're looking into that to see if they're connected. There are a lot of similarities. I don't know if they are or not, but waiting on that. Um, And as I was putting that information together, putting it together in the database, the day that story aired on KSBY and and San Luis Obispo, that's when the station out here in Minnesota asked me if I'd come back to work on Jacob. So it's just kind of an amazing timing of events. Um, Mm -hmm. But it deepened my passion to, again, work on missing persons. Um, As you know, I was rejected when I originally applied to get a PI license in California, to work mm-hmm. on these cases, uh, as a, even though some former journalists have, met, have been denied. So I ended up getting my license last fall here in Minnesota, uh, again, because I realized there, I've met so many families. Most of them are not high profile like Jacob. Most of them aren't, um, you know, like Jody's. But there are a lot of people out there. I found a lot of people in the Central Coast who are Alzheimer's patients who just wandered up, dropped off the earth. I had seven mm-hmm. or eight in our community who are just gone. and Where are they? So, I'm hoping by raising the awareness and creating the database that uh, maybe, first of all, one, just get accurate information, but to keep their faces out there and, and keep searching for them, never give up. If it were your family member and my family member, I hope somebody would do it for us. Exactly right. Well, it's interesting. I'm
0: I'm interested in this database because I have my own missing person case that I've been working yes. on for 30 years. So. Oh, um, my goodness. So, this is... So this is uh, all missing persons in California, not just children, right? Well,
2: the, the ones I did were just all, they're all on the Central Coast. It all statewide. Central Coast, okay. I, I, I looked and I mixed, I looked at NamUs, I looked at the state database and found it was, it was very difficult pulling the things together because, for example, the state will give you some, they won't give, they won't give you everything. There's some that law enforcement's reported to them that they don't want out for very investigative reasons. So I did, mm. it was the best that I could do at the time that we did it. But it, you, I'm, I, I need about, to update it. Mm-hmm. Are
0: you thinking What's about expanding it, expanding it to all of California?
2: No, I think I have enough work, frankly, cut out for me there. <laughs> and I'm, my, my Jody case, I said, I, I, my resolution for all the next year is to stay on working on Jody and, um, and doing what I can. With, I hope it inspires other people. When I first started looking at getting my PI license, I remember somebody, an investigator, saying, We're not going to make any money on this. I said, I'm doing this. I don't plan to to do this pro bono anywhere. I don't think any of you, I'm sure you're not making any money. It's not something you do as a way to make money. It's a way to find answers for those families that live with that hole in their heart, that live with Thanksgivings with somebody missing, that live with Christmases with somebody missing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's a big cloud over your entire life until it gets resolved. (laughs) And then, like I say, it feels even when it gets resolved, it's not over. (laughs)
2: Just, it's not uh, over, but you're not waiting. One of the things the Wetterling went through, and many do it, they had so many crazy people, crazy kind of calls, and psychics who had some information and different some information better than others, but they never you know they never did not want to take that call, because what if that were the call that was going to lead them to Jacob? Now they won't be getting those calls in the middle of the night. They won't be getting the people coming up to them at the grocery stores that think they might know who might have taken Jacob. That part will stop, and that took tremendous psychic. Emotional energies over the years. Oh, yeah. And that has to be you know, That part will stop. But yeah, because what if, they, what if you blew somebody off who could have the information that would have led mm-hmm. them to Jacob? Right. So that, that part they won't live with anymore, but there's still a huge hole in their heart. That little boy will not be coming home ever
0: mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's a it's an amazing effort. I I wish you well on Jody's cases as well. To, Thank you. So that that can be resolved for her family.
2: They need it. They need it. We need it. And she's the second highest profile unsolved cases. So like we need to we need to get this done. So I will use everything, all my training. Anybody who might have any information, I hope they'll. So. We have a, a website called FindJody dot com, and we where so we put a lot of stories. A bunch of us have done over the years where we put information. We're hoping that maybe with DNA, maybe with somebody coming to our website someday, they might track mm-hmm. down a piece of information that might lead us to answers of where Jody is. Did you know Again, her that's before fine, she disappeared? I, I did not. I uh, did not know her. I did not met her. Her sister told me that she hopes someday to come up to work in the Twin Cities, and maybe even work with me at the station where I worked. It's the 14th largest market. She wanted to get to a top 20 market, kind of lean toward going to warmer weather in Arizona. But if she stayed in the area, she'd hope someday to work in the Twin Cities. So we might have worked together someday.
0: Very interesting. Well, I wish mm-hmm. I certainly wish you well on that. And uh, uh, those of you that are interested or if you're in Minnesota and you'd like to work on the Fine Jody uh, case, I've... No, they would love to have volunteers. Uh, anybody mm-hmm. anybody that can help is a value just, in cases like this. Find,
2: it's fine. It's and that's where our website is. Okay,
0: Caroline, thank you so much for being on the show today, uh, highlighting thank these you. cases that are that are so heartfelt. Um, missing persons, children. I mean, can't it can't get any worse than that? And I appreciate it you.
2: Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. thank you, for all that you do. You're out there, and the amount of time you give to educate the rest of us to make us better investigators. I'm really grateful for that.
0: Oh, thanks. And (laughs) uh, and for the rest of you, um, on a little (laughs) lighter note, a shout-out to my sponsors, Jimmy and Rosemary Messes, publishers of PI Magazine. And if you're interested in advertising on PIs Declassified, let me know, or let my uh, executive producer, Sandra Rogers, at voiceamerica.com. So, folks, uh, this has been an emotional day. Uh, Tune in again next week as we declassify topics of interest for private investigators and the world. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening.
1: You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler.